This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. If you're feeling down and having trouble getting up in the morning, here's a tip. Brush your teeth. That's it. Often when we wake up, our brains go into planning mode, which leads to overthinking and stress before our head even leaves the pillow. Something simple like brushing your teeth can break that cycle and jumpstart your day. This tip was brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy, which connects you with a licensed therapist via video, phone, or online chat. Visit betterhelp.com positive and save 10% on your first month. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody, we've had 72 hours to digest, 72 hours to cry, 72 hours to uh, cry ourselves to sleep. But the Mets season is over. We all have to accept that. And now we could pick up the pieces of all the dreams that we had over the last six months. Welcome to a very, uh, let's say, emotional edition of Rico Bronia. And I'm pleased to be joined by the guy that really jinxed all of this. <laughs> he was the guy that on May 31st said, the NL East is over. A phrase that will now live in not only the history of his career, but it will live forever in the city of Atlanta because those losers still can't get over the fact that a guy made a dumb prediction and got it wrong. And that, of course, is the star of SNY because God knows you're not watching SNY for any other reason besides Carton Roberts. <laughs> and this man, Sal Licata, host of the Overnights on the Fan. Sal, are you okay? I, how are you I feeling? I still cannot believe how it ended. I, I, I just can't believe it. 101 win season up in flames in the course of a weekend or two weekends. It's just unbelievable to me. I I completely agree. And I think that while we got the signs of it over the last week, specifically the three games in Atlanta, now that it's over and we've had a few days without Met baseball, a few days where there's no Met game to watch and you really have just thought about how it all ended, it is kind of stunning and it's why – I said something at the end of Rico Bronia a few days ago, and I feel even more strongly about it today. And I'm curious if you should agree, if you would agree with me. When you think back now to this season, it's 2007. Like that's the year because it was in a lot of ways a collapse. They weren't really in the playoffs. I'm sorry. I've given this thought. Those three games were not freaking playoff games. They were an extension of a regular season in which the Mets finished as meekly as they did. And that last game against San Diego was game 162 against the Marlins. Like, everything about it. Like, you knew the game was over early, just like game 162 against the Marlins. It was like a death. It was a three-hour funeral. And that's why 
I sit here a few days later thinking that's the season this reminds me of. This is 2007 all yeah, over. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't give it as much thought as you did with the details. I've heard the comparisons. Um, I, I do agree with you that I do not feel like this team made the playoffs. That wild card round is not a postseason. At, at least it wasn't at City Field. It may be in other cities. It was not in this particular year. I just, the thing that bothers me, you know, in 2007, you felt it sliding away. This never, they kind of missed opportunities to put it away in September, but I never felt it sliding away. And even if you erase all of September prior to the Braves series, they had, however they got it, they had the one game lead with Scherzer and DeGrom or DeGrom and then Scherzer and Bassett lined up in Atlanta. That was essentially a postseason series and they got punched in the mouth and could not recover to where they could even win one game to win the division and kind of reset everything and then have a real postseason regardless of the result. And I just, I can't believe that it went up in flames like that. So I understand the comparison. And in 07, there was shock value. It came out of nowhere. I mean, like they were, they just blew away the division the year before. Nobody even gave it any second thought. We all assumed they were going to win the division. And then to have that collapse the way that it did, I guess you're right, but I haven't really given it that much thought. I, I still just can't believe how this how this thing ended. When it also, like our collapse of 2022 was really over a week. I know a lot of people are going to point to, you know, certain series where they missed opportunities. You mentioned it. They had missed opportunities of putting the division away. The Saturday game right. against Oakland where Jacob DeGrom got bombed. The three-game series against Chicago where they got swept, even losing two out of three to Washington. Like There are a lot of examples of small things that they didn't do to put it away, but the collapse is Atlanta. I mean, the collapse is, like you said, you've got your pitchers lined up, you're facing the Braves, where really the margin is just win a game. You don't have to even win the series, just win a game, and that's the collapse. Those three games in Atlanta, and then the three games at City Field, I just feel, bro, I got to tell you, you were at these games. I feel dirty. Like everything about it was like, it just wasn't the playoffs, especially by the end when the crowd was beaten. The crowd was so dead. It was just so depressing and dark. Even in the win Saturday, I didn't feel like it was a typical playoff game. And I know, look, I understand that they're not the Yankees. You know, they haven't been in very often, but I know distinctly the difference of a postseason game at Shea Stadium or City Field versus a regular season game and this you could not really feel that especially Sunday and that's before they got down on Sunday a I was shocked that they didn't sell out and b even before Bassett gave up two runs it was like a morgue it was nowhere near you know let's say game seven 2006 NLCS which turned out to be obviously one of the worst losses that was a playoff game 2016 wildcard game that was a playoff game 2015 World Series those were games this was these were two of the worst games I'd ever been to in my life. And even the game they won Saturday, while it was closer, I mean, it was a four-hour-plus game, dreadful baseball. Even then, DeGrom, Diaz coming in the seventh inning where they ruined the trumpet thing. It just, just the All three of those games were just a disaster. And to me, it started, to your point, with the Braves. They, they didn't get eliminated by the Dodgers. So- they got eliminated by the Braves. So were we as a fan base beaten, hence why the crowds were so dead? And I I always say this. I take responsibility for it. You do, too. We were in the building. We're a part of the crowd being dead. Like, we were there. We I can tell you right now, as I was trying to clap, I, it, was a, it was a limp clap. You didn't it was believe a, it. 
Yeah, I'm clapping, but I'm I'm beaten. Was it that or was it this is a new round of the playoffs that none of us really knew? It. I mean, it's new. It's a wild card series. There's no history to it other than that Fugazi 2020 run. So was it the fakeness of the series or the newness of the series? Or were we all as fans beaten down from Atlanta? Hence why we were so dead for I three days. I think the way that they lost the division the way that the series went in Atlanta not only buried the team, I think it buried the fans. I truly, because I'll tell you my initial thought as somebody who was excited as anybody else to buy the postseason strip and all that stuff before the Atlanta series, I forget exactly when we purchased it, but when they got swept my, and I was on the air that night reacting to it, I said, I don't even want to go to these games. The wild card at this point is beneath me. Like they, this is a division winning team. Now, I ended up going as I got over it as the week went on and wanted to get myself excited about it, I guess. But I think it was fans are smart enough to realize after what happened in Atlanta, you you did not have a good feel about this ball club. I think it was more that. No, I, look, I, I think we saw the warning signs, but it still is depressing thinking about it. This is a veteran team. This is not some young up-and-coming team that just got scarred by a three-game sweep against Atlanta. This is a veteran team who had the opportunity at something a lot of Met teams haven't had in the past, a second chance. We didn't get a second chance in 2007 or a second chance in 2008. They were given a second chance. Yeah, you got swept by the Braves, but look, you got three games at home against a team that's basically been a 500 team for a half of a season. Go beat them, and now you get your crack at the 111-win Dodgers and so disappointing and depressing that this veterans team, veteran team's response to a second chance and, was basically to repeat the sins of Atlanta. And, so you're right. So that was part of it. And I'm thinking, all right, well, they, they do have another opportunity. And you can't let what happened last weekend impact this because it shouldn't have anything to do with it. And the whole freaking reason that anybody believed in the Mets this year was what? Scherzer DeGrom. Scherzer DeGrom. Yes. You want to throw in Bassett? Scherzer DeGrom Bassett. That's why everybody said that this team could go to the World Series. This team has as good a chance as anybody if they could get healthy with those guys there. They had that. And then once Scherzer got beat up in the first inning, that was it. Off of Atlanta, he gives up that two-run homer, and then they couldn't answer, obviously, in the bottom of the first. They couldn't recover, but you do have hope, or did, because of Scherzer and DeGrom. That's what's infuriating. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? They had the guys there. They just didn't get the job done. <laughs> That's why... I don't know if I felt this at the time because I think when, you know, the game ended in game three, the initial reaction is the disgust from being one hit. The disgust of Joe Musgrove becomes Cy Young, whether he's got sticky stuff or not. To me, it's so freaking irrelevant. I I don't don't even want to hear it. They didn't hit. That's the bottom line. But as the days have gone on, it's really gone back to what you just said, which is this team was built around Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. And we'll get to it a little bit coming up. There's no telling if that's going to even get another chance with the future of Jacob DeGrom being so uncertain. And who knows what even Max Scherzer is now as a 39-year-old next year. But that was their identity. And so I find myself more pissed off at them than even the offense. Because when you have Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, which was our dream, you have DeGrom and Scherzer, we're all thinking this is Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. Well, when you have those guys, you can win one nothing. You can win two to one. And so that's why I don't even look at the offense as much as I look at those guys. And I know DeGrom did a fine job in game two. He pitched well enough to win. So you take that start aside. But 
His game against Atlanta wasn't good enough. Six innings, three runs, whatever. That's a quality start my ass. That's a 4-5 ERA. That's not Jacob DeGrom. And obviously, we know about Scherzer. And so I think that's my biggest disappointment now, a few days later, that they got DeGrom and Scherzer lined up. They made four starts against Atlanta and San Diego, and the freaking team went one and yeah, three. That, and they didn't do the, well the enough. Most, the biggest disappointment for me was Scherzer in game two in Atlanta and Scherzer in game one against San Diego. Bassett sucks. I mean, I'm, I'm over Bassett. And he gave, yeah, he gave you nothing. He was overwhelmed. But, yeah, that's the problem. And you look around. You know, Bieber did his job as the ace. You know, you, you Garrett Cole did his job for the Yankees as, as an ace. Darvish, Musgrove, those guys pitch well. It shouldn't be that hard to get these guys to go out there and pitch seven solid innings. Without that, the offense is irrelevant because if they don't get those ace-type performances from those guys, this team is certainly not good enough to win. And that's what's demoralizing because they – it'd be one thing if DeGrom wasn't healthy or Scherzer, and who knows if he's 100% healthy, but you get the point. They took the mound, all bets are off. But you got to go out there and perform, and they didn't. It's disheartening. Yeah, look, I mean, we heard this last year with Garrett Cole, whether he had a hamstring issue or not. It doesn't matter. You took the ball, you pitched in a game, you didn't get the job done. And it's incredible to think, because Max was so good this year. He had the lowest ERA of his major league career. I know he missed a lot of time, so who knows if he makes the full 31 starts, if he has that same ERA. But he was lauded by all of us as the tough guy. Give him the baseball. He's a warrior. He's a battler. He's so this, he's so that. Meanwhile, his Met season, his first Met season ended with his ass being booed off the mound. (laughs) I mean, who would have saw that coming, man? He got beat up. I did not see it coming. As a matter of fact, even as generally negative as I would be, you know, being a Met fan, after they lost that Friday in Atlanta, I believed Scherzer was going to shut them down in game two, and he didn't. I believed he was going to set the tone in game one, feeding off the energy of the crowd that he said he gets high off of, right? He talked about, oh, man, I love right. the energy of the crowd. And I'm like, you're not going to – you may have won the World Series in 2019 with the Nationals. You'll never experience what this is like postseason in New York. And before the fans could even get freaking excited, he gave up a tour on Homer. I just can't – Everything, the the way that it went was the worst case scenario for the Mets, both in Atlanta and at home against the pods. This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress. Close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts, exhale for six. Keep repeating. <sighs> Much better. Longer term, there's BetterHelp Online Therapy. They'll match us with a licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit BetterHelp.com slash positive and save 10% on our first month. And, and here's what I think is so scarring. I, I don't, I've, you know, I've known you for a while as a Met fan. I don't take you as like an overly confident guy. Uh, I'm certainly not a confident guy. You declared, and it was your opinion as much as I disagree with you, that they were going to win the division in late May. I was definitely not as boisterous as you, but throughout the season, I had this cautious optimism that they'd win the division, which is far different than you, but I, I did. And I'm usually not like that. And so here's what kills me. This Met team made guys like you and I optimistic. They did. They made guys like us believe and say, it's different. This isn't the old Mets. These Mets, their phrase was different. And for us, all of us, you, me, to get kicked in the balls the way we did, 
it's going to be tough to trust well, again. It's like the girl that cheats on you. Like, how the hell could we ever trust? No, not until you see it. It's like I was trying to get over it heading into the wild card saying, like, it's okay to love again. Believe in them. And you're right. Like, that was the biggest issue with me with the people from Atlanta where I talk a lot of crap for the Mets, you know, saying they were going to win the division. They, I think a lot of them assumed that I was saying it because I was some Mets homer, which is the furthest thing. From the right. truth, nobody has ripped the Mets more than you and I over the course of the last, whatever, 10 years. So I believe that they were good. Oh, and by the way, they were good enough to win 101 games, which nobody gives a shit about now. But at the time, like that, you look at where they are as far as their record, the history of the team, that's a big deal. So we were not wrong to believe in this team, but to have it blow up in our faces the way that they did, I cannot trust them. I, I will never. No. I will never put my name on the line again for this group of players until they prove that they could get over the hump. How can you? I mean, think about, and I know 21 isn't a year in which, you know, we look back on with such regret, but they were in first place for half the season. Right. Like, and okay, they screwed us. They kicked us in the balls that year, but all right, they weren't that good. The division was lousy. Okay, fine. This year, and granted, 101 wins is a lot of wins. And if they're in most other divisions, they're never even playing big games in September. I understand that. But they still had it right in front of them and right. blew it. Like, the Mets could be up by 15 games next July on Atlanta. And you and I and every other Met fan is going to have our eye on that rearview mirror saying, it's not over. 100%. Like, 100% accurate. It is going to be so tough to trust this team moving forward. And that's where it's it's really painful as a Met fan that – with the new owner, with the manager, with and I'm not even mad at the manager. Look, you you're a Buck guy, Mary Buckmas. <laughs> I don't I don't have any bitterness towards Buck. I don't blame Buck Showalter. Now, look, the manager sometimes sets the tone, and sometimes we blame the manager too much. We give the manager too much credit. I'm just reacting to what he did, the lineups he put out there, the moves that he made personally. I love the way he used Edwin Diaz in game two right. of the series. It's something as a baseball fan I've been dreaming about forever. Don't F around. Use your best reliever in the seventh inning if you need to. So I liked his managing for the most part. I even liked him going out there saying, hey, check Joe Musgrove's ear. Why the F right. not? He getting shut out. You got to try something. But even Buck, I can't trust anything about this team next year. They could be 18 games up in September. I'm I think you just nailed it. And you know I love Buck and wanted them here probably more than anybody. Now I have to question his postseason resume, along with everybody else that was saying the same thing. I will, until the final out is made and they win the division, until they show that they can play in a postseason, I don't know how you can trust this core group. And one thing before we move forward, like to look back on that, that really bothers me about the franchise. And I know that we've moved on. It's different ownership. However, the Mets wasted, and I'll never get over this, and I'll never forgive them for this. They wasted twice the best season or seasons from a pitcher that we've ever seen in our lifetime and two of the great seasons ever in 18 or 19 without having Jacob deGrom take the mound in game one of whatever postseason series in 18 and 19. And now years later, because they're still feeling the ill effects from that previous era, now deGrom does take the mound and the, and he is not what he was in 18 and 19, and that is infuriating. It is not the same pitcher that they missed a golden opportunity, both in 18 or 19. 
Now you're right, and and I love Jake, and I know there's a lot of uncertainty if he's if he's even going to be back. It it's weird. There is this sense that he's gone, and not even from the idea of well, there are rumors his family doesn't want to live here, which may or may not be true. I have no idea. But now I'm starting to get this kind of momentum. Some Met fans, but you know, baseball writers that have strong opinionated opinion, uh, educated opinions, but this sense of ah, they're better off letting him go. Ah, they're better off spending that money elsewhere. Ah, he's not the same guy. You just said it. He's not the same guy. Look, he may never be the same guy as 2018 or 2019. I don't know if that means he's the guy who made the 11 starts this year. He's a low three ERA guy. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about what he is, but it scares me that we're never going to see it, whether it's from DeGrom not wanting to be here, which is a possibility, a strong possibility, or the Mets not wanting to pay him because it's too risky. And I don't know if this makes you feel this way. This rips my heart out. This is our Tom Seaver. This is a career Met. This is David Wright. This is any guy you want to come up with. And the fact that there's maybe a better than 50-50 shot for any of those reasons I gave, that he's not going to be back, I got to tell you, that's my biggest stomachache going into this offseason. It's a big that. problem, but I guess I've been braced for it for years hearing the stuff that now we're privy to as members of the media as opposed to you know being a fan back in the old days where I didn't know about this stuff and I would have blind love and loyalty to these guys but I've heard multiple times from multiple people he doesn't want to be here and that's that turns me off as a matter of fact it pisses me off if he doesn't want to be here and then to see him go out there and not be the dominant pitcher that he once was knowing the injury history knowing some of the issues that maybe he has or that people in the organization have with him, also knowing what he's going to cost. Now, I do believe he's still their best shot as far as having a chance to go win a World Series with that rotation. They kind of need him. However, if you factor everything else in, can you justify paying Jake $45, 50000000 a year on top of Max, 43 a year? I just don't believe in that philosophy. Yes. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And look, the him not wanting to be here thing, here's why that doesn't scare me. Max Scherzer didn't want to be here. CeCe Sabathia didn't want to be there. And ultimately, Max Scherzer came to the Mets and CeCe Sabathia went to the Yankees because they were offered so much more money here and the Bronx than elsewhere. So I respect that maybe at this point in his life with his kid's age of what it is that he wants to go live in Texas or Georgia or wherever. I do. But if the Mets offer significantly more money, I don't believe, and and this is just, look, I have no inside information. I don't believe he hates the Mets or this city enough to say, I'm going to turn down all that money to leave. We're going to find out. He likes the Mets. We're going to find out. But he said, listen, I can only trust his words, right? Everything we hear behind the scenes, we've never heard from him. We've never heard from his agent. Jacob DeGrom publicly has said, it's cool to play your entire career with one team. I saw what David Wright did. I think it's awesome. He wants to be a Hall of Famer. That's like a a closed circuit Hall of Famer. I forget how he phrased it, but a small group Hall of Famer. Well, here's the thing. You play for multiple teams, it's tough to be that guy. You need to be embraced by one fan base. And I'm sorry, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia will never embrace you the way New York does. So I think there are small factors. So let's, let's say then, hypothetically, the Mets, he wants to be here. DeGrom is open to returning to the Mets. 
if they give him whatever his contract is? What are you willing to give him? Well, I'm willing to give him more than Max Scherzer, and I'll tell you why. I cannot live. I cannot live, and nor should you, with the idea that Jacob deGrom isn't a Met because they can't justify paying someone the way they paid Max Scherzer. Then you shouldn't assign Max Scherzer. I'm sorry. The guy didn't do crap for us. We paid him for what he did in Washington and what he did in L.A. for a few months. And Detroit, you're going to pay him, but you won't pay our guy? Are you kidding me? more about DeGrom. Jeff, DeGrom hasn't pitched in three years. When was the last time he pitched a full season? I understand, but if we're now judging on from here on out, Max is going to be 39, and he crapped the yeah, bed in his last two back. starts. You can't erase the deal. They made that deal. And look, if you don't... if let's, All right, fine. You trust DeGrom's going to stay healthy? You want to give him 40? No. You want to give him 45 or 50 a year for how long? I would. Years? Yeah, here's what I would do. Here, I'll tell you exactly right. I would offer him a three year, $150 million right. deal. I'd give him 50 a year, three years. Let's say he takes it. DeGrom is back. He wants to be at Met. The yeah. Mets love DeGrom. Yep. DeGrom and Scherzer again. How is this team getting better then? Well, okay. So here's the complicated part about them getting better. And I, I don't think a lot of Met fans want to hear this, but I do think it's the truth. I think the way they get better is relying on Francisco Alvarez to be an everyday catcher slash right-handed DH. It's relying on Brett Beatty makes this team and maybe takes at-bats away eventually from Eduardo Escobar. That Mark Vientos is the right-handed DH as opposed to Darren Ruff. I think they get better based on internal growth from some of their top prospects that really never got a shot this year. Vientos Those three stays. guys were never you given know a Vientos shot. Vientos is not good enough. Now, I'm not saying they did him any favors. They're not. Vientos is not going to be a major player. Could Alvarez, could Beatty? Absolutely. Yeah, they're going to need a part of that, but they also need a known commodity now. I mean, if you're talking about winning now, if you're talking about winning eventually, whatever, but if you bring Scherzer and DeGrom back, you almost have to go all in now. And that's not relying on three players from the system to come up and be impactful. They got to spend money. Well, I I think that's a part of it. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not like I'm going to not try anything else. But I think if you let DeGrom go, or DeGrom leaves on his own, which I understand he may just decide, I don't want to be here. What's so special about the New York Mets? You admitted it before. Their identity was this top two in the rotation. And it did work. And by the way, sure. For one year. That's it? You're We're done? trusting this team again. How... I don't care what lead they have. How do you trust that they're not going to implode in the postseason again with Scherzer's end of the Well, first of all, you don't have a choice with Scherzer. He's right, signed. So Max is going to be back. And Jacob DeGrom, while he wasn't the same guy and that Oakland game was a horror show, he didn't implode. Like, if I look at his two postseason starts against the Atlanta Braves, because it's kind of a playoff game, and the San Diego Padres, while he wasn't the guy we expected, and not the guy we remember from 18 and 19, he did not implode. And while I may not trust this team, their identity was the top two guys in their rotation. I don't love the idea after one year of saying, all right, well, it didn't work. I guess we'll have a new identity. And what identity is that? What, becoming a slugging team? Go out and sign a bunch of sluggers, Aaron Judge included? Like, what's their identity? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'd rather spend $50 million a year on Judge than I would DeGrom and, say, Brandon Nimmo even. I think it's time. I'm sick and tired of it. The last time the Mets had an offensive team was 2006, and that team ran roughshod over people with that sick lineup. That's what I want again. Balance the pitch, but you don't need two 40-plus million-dollar pitchers in a rotation to win. Well, first of all, if you can get DeGrom on that three-year deal, and who knows, maybe he's going to demand five, and maybe there's a team that right. gives it to him. I don't know. But if you got him on a three-year deal, you're making your bed for three years of paying two aging pitchers a lot of money. You're not getting in bed for 10, so I'll ask you this. Would you rather pay, and I'm not saying the money's going to be this. I'm just throwing a hypothetical at you. Would you rather pay Aaron Judge $50 million a year for 10 years or Jacob DeGrom $50 million a year for three years? Well, I mean, I don't think that that's a realistic number for Judge. I'm not giving Judge $500 million. I think he's going to be lucky if he gets 350 maybe 375 So I would give Judge $400 million. Look, if you're paying Francisco Lindor 340 Aaron Judge is worth 350 or $400 well, I think, look, I, I don't think Aaron Judge is going to be here, but I do think that if the Mets are getting in that pool, they're going to have to cleanly outbid the New York 100%. Yankees. I and I don't right. think the, and the Yankees aren't going to lay down and let him go to the Mets. So I do think that if we're talking about a Judge contract, it's going to be an absurd contract. If it's from the Mets, it right. is. Because, look, I, I love what Steve Cohen has done. He hasn't done enough to make Aaron Judge leave the Yankees and come to the Mets unless right. it's, they got to pay 30, 50 million more, something like that, I would think, at least. You, 
Here's a, here's the other thing, and you haven't said anything about this, and I'm I'm curious. Do you not have any emotional attachment to the fact that Jacob Degrom's a homegrown Met and could have his number retired and could be beside Seaver, who didn't finish his career here, maybe one of the greatest career Mets we've ever had? I don't, and I'm curious within myself to know if it's because of the stuff that I heard, if it's because of I've been burnt before. Like, I was in love with Matt Harvey. I loved Matt Harvey more than anything, and he broke my heart like everybody else. But I, I, it's probably more that just the stuff that I'm hearing is such a turnoff with DeGrom. What? I'll be excited when he's- what? Because he doesn't want to be here potentially? Is that really the problem? He's just a bit of a jerk, the way he's handled certain things, that he doesn't want to be here. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I'm Now, I don't know these to be factual. Again, I'm hearing from multiple people different things. So I don't even... It, it's altered my judgment, but I shouldn't probably let that. As the fan, you know, just the fan in me, I could see the emotional attachment. By the way, he hasn't freaking pitched. He has not pitched. If this were 2018 or 2019, I mean, I'd be saying, yeah, give him $500 million. I don't care what you got to do to keep him here. But he hasn't pitched. How can you rip the organization unless they didn't reinvest that money, which I don't believe will be the case. But how can you knock them for saying, hey, I can't trust this guy who's been a bit soft, who's always been hurt, who's complaining about this and that. How could, I, how could you blame them for not investing $50 million a year in this Because I'll I tell you why. Because it's the same criticism I've had about the Yankees in the past. Why are you in such a rush to pay guys who did things for other teams and not pay the guys that have done something for your team? And that just drives me nuts. Like, you're right about the risks around it. I'm not disputing that. There's a lot of uncertainty about what DeGrom would do over the next three years, how healthy he'd be, how effective he'd be. Would he be anywhere near the guy from 18 and 19? But when it comes to a guy who's done it all here, kind of like David Wright, and we know that contract worked out terribly. It was a disaster. But I have no regrets about that. I really don't. I think about that years later and say, you know what? You had to do it. No regrets. You had to do it. And I look at DeGrom in a similar light, but – it's not just that. It's not just the emotion because he's my guy. And a part of the reason he's my guy is because of what you said about Matt Harvey. I never understood it. I never understood why you, Beningo, loved Matt Harvey. He had it. And DeGrom was nothing. Jacob DeGrom went out and won the rookie of the year in 2014. Jacob DeGrom was their best pitcher in 2015 and pitched some of the most clutch games we've ever seen. And for a while, until recently, it was never enough. Because he didn't have, you know, he wasn't Syndergaard. He wasn't Harvey. And that's what kind of created my love for him that he was just, oh, let me give me the ball. Let me give me the, give me the ball. I'm going to pitch. That's it. Like, I don't care about that other crap. And so with a lot of fans, they never developed that connection with DeGrom that maybe they had so early on with Harvey and Syndergaard. And that always boggled my mind. This guy's done 50 times more and had done 50 times yeah, more. And, and look, maybe that's the reason why DeGrom gets ticked off. I, I, I don't know. I wish I knew him better to where I could make my own judgment on his character as opposed to what I've heard. But yeah, I mean, even hearing you reminisce about that, I do understand the emotional attachment. However, you have to understand, and you know this, but you got to take the fan side of it out of it. They're not going to, they shouldn't be emotional. When you're making a decision based on the business of the team, trying to make the team better now and in the long term, I don't think you could get too emotional on it. Pay him if you think he's going to be a, a top pitcher and stay healthy moving forward. Well, the, the other thing is, and I, I know we don't know what the budget will be for Steve Cohen, 
But I also feel very differently about this than I did three years ago where you could make a fair point, Evan. How could you pay the Grom? You won't be able to do anything else. Why should I feel that way about Steve Cohen? I mean, why do, would I feel that a mega contract to Jacob DeGrom, he's already making 30 plus million dollars. So if you pay him 50, yes, it's an increase of 17 million. It's significant. But why would I believe that Cohen wouldn't continue to All spend? Right, like this what? isn't the Wilpon era. Spend on what? Get him and Judge? I mean, what's the... I, I'm not saying Aaron Judge. I think Aaron Judge is... I, unrealistic isn't the right word. Right, I just, just forget Judge. But, but I will <laughs> say there is that sentiment. You're not alone. But if this were Judge leaving Philadelphia or leaving Chicago, like Bryce Harper or Manny Machado hitting the market, if everybody be saying, go get Judge, go get Judge, go get Judge. But because he's a Yankee, you can look at it from the Yankees' perspective. They can't lose him. However, when the Yankees' season ends, wherever that is, he's a free agent. That means the Mets could have him if they offer him the biggest contract. I mean, it's... Yeah, no, no. I, if Aaron Judge was a member of any other team, I would think differently for this reason. Not because I'm afraid of the Yankees, but I do think... I. I have an idea that the Yankees work in a different way where they will not let him sign with the New All York right, so Mets. fine. I don't let, believe that. Say, that's true. So let's just, I can totally understand that. Doesn't, wouldn't stop me from trying, but let's just say, no, no, judge then. I try. For, forget judge. You want Nemo back? What about Diaz? What about the improvement as far as that lineup goes? If you're saying Steve Cohen has money, how are you spending that money then? So my initial reaction is Edwin Diaz has to come back. And I don't think there's any question because a lot of it comes back to, and it's similar to DeGrom, but more so even with Diaz. Okay, you let this guy go. How do you replace him? Edwin Diaz right now is irreplaceable. It's amazing we're saying that about this guy, but it's so true. He's irreplaceable. Like, who's the second best closer on the market? There's no one even near him. I, I can say something sort of similar about Jake. Okay, you let him go. How are you replacing him in the rotation? Tyler McGill and David Peterson? Carlos Rodon, who had a great year, but also has injury questions, like legitimately. Justin Verlander, who's 58 years old. Like, I could say the same thing about DeGrom. So to me, my initial thought is Edwin Diaz and Jacob DeGrom are absolute priorities. I like Brandon Nimmo. He's replaceable. Like, it comes down to that. Jacob DeGrom is irreplaceable. You would admit that. There's no one in free agency or realistic trades that's anywhere near Jacob DeGrom. Do you agree with that? Yes, 100%. Okay. And Edwin Diaz, obviously, that's not even a question. The only thing, and I never gave this much thought until somebody was talking about the other day, you know, bullpens and closers are so volatile. You just never know year to year. Usually the long-term closer contracts don't work out, but I – I feel differently about Diaz. I, I, I actually trust him, oddly enough, I, after what, what happened in 2019. I do trust him, and it shouldn't cost that much. So I would just tidy that up, let that be one less thing you have to worry about first because he wants to be here, they want him, and then go from there. But I just – they need to get better. You're talking about bringing guys back, and I want to get better. Well, look, we have to start by bringing guys back. Like, that's the beginning of the process is, okay, which guys do you want back? So I, I'll give you something specific. Uh, concerning the Nimmo situation. Because I said, hey, he's replaceable. You can get guys who are better. I'm intrigued. I don't know if he'll do it, but I'm intrigued by the idea of Trey Turner playing the outfield. The idea that he's obviously better than Brandon Nimmo. I think we all know that. Um, He would bring such a dynamic to this team. Could steal 30 bases a year easily. He's an outstanding, outstanding hitter. And he's such a great athlete. And maybe the answer is third base, but that's not what I'm dreaming about him with. I'm dreaming about Trey Turner in center field. 
Is he interested in doing something like that? I have no idea. All I know about Trey Turner is that he seems to have a real man crush on the Mets. He likes to hit at City Field. He likes the East Coast. The one guy he would want to have as his teammate is Jacob DeGrom, even though that may not happen right. here. Um, so, you talk about improving so the team. There's an improvement to gonna, this team. He's going to sign and play shortstop for Atlanta when Swanson leaves and DeGrom will go to Atlanta and they get to be teammates. <laughs> I, would, I would take Trey Turner. I've always loved him as a player, but it doesn't solve the power issue for me with the Mets. I know you're saying Alvarez, but I, I want I want to. I'm not done yet. I gave you one uh, guy. That's not my entire offseason. Well, you're, you're already. Uh, so wait, you're already bringing Degrom back. You're already bringing Diaz back. You're bringing in Trey Turner, and there's more. I can't wait to hear it. Well, first of all, financially, let me just say this: the entire bullpen is free agents. So I think you are unfortunately going to have to go more on the cheap internal end when it comes to building your bullpen behind Edwin Diaz. Like Adam Ottavino had a great year. I would not bring him back. Maybe Lugo. I would maybe bring back Lugo. The other guys forget about. You're right. Drew Smith is going to be the eighth inning guy next year. You got to go cheap that way. Uh, Chris Bassett's gone. I I know he has like an $18 million mutual option. Goodbye. You can't handle New York. David Peterson, Tyler McGill, even Trevor Williams. Come on down. So I think finances, if that's what you're thinking about, that's how I would try to keep it not too crazy. Bassett's gone. Uh, Most of the bullpen is gone. And and think about this with Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo is an analytics dream. He's going to be paid a lot of money. And he may get paid $25 million a year. I don't think that's crazy. I would never pay him that. Not even close. Right. So how much more per year is Trey Turner really getting? How much more? So is he going to get $30 million a year? 35? Yeah, and look, the, the complication of the Turner thing is you got to talk to him. He's got to be willing to play the outfield. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's like, no, screw that. I'm a shortstop or I'm a second baseman. And if that's the case, obviously it goes nowhere. But there seems to be this feeling that Turner loves the East Coast. That maybe, And I think athletic-wise, he could absolutely play center field. I'm not concerned about that. It's more getting him as a guy to buy in. Uh, Jock Peterson would be a guy I'd have to give you the pop. If Nimmo could play center field, Trey Turner could figure out a way to play center field. (laughs) (laughs) Nimmo Nimmo did a really good job defensively in center field, but the biggest criticism the Beltron haters had, and I was always a Beltron defender, was he plays too deep. Ah, he plays too deep. Brandon Nimmo played in Siberia. And and that's why he's good at going back on balls because he doesn't have great speed. He's not a great athlete. Look, he's done a nice job and much better than I ever thought he would be. But I'm with you. I would let him go and I wouldn't worry about the defense. But I'd be fine with Trey Turner. Then you would need power. Maybe it comes from Alvarez. I don't know about Peterson. Although, Jock Peterson possesses what I feel like this Mets team lacks. And that is sack. That's what they need. Toughness. Peterson is unafraid. They have a couple of guys, but they don't have enough. And I like the, you know, I don't love Peterson as a, as a player, but I do, I do like his attitude. I think the Mets need that type of attitude. Yeah. Ian Happ is another guy I was thinking about, like that kind of fits that mold of can hit the ball over the fence and has a little bit of balls. And, you know, I don't know if it's effectively worked for the Yankees, but the thing we always heard about Josh Donaldson was he provides that, thing to the Yankees they don't have in their locker room whether it was balls however you want to phrase it and I don't know if that's actually worked for the Yankees but that was the theory we all said it we all repeated it all Mm -hmm. Donaldson gives them that kind of pizzazz that they need and I do think that we as Mets fans look at this team after the way they collapsed and say yeah 
we we want the guy to be more productive than Josh Donaldson because he didn't have a productive regular season, but you want guys that at least you think can bring that to the locker room. Well, and I think they have that with Scherzer, and I think, think they got better in that department, but clearly the way that they lost, that cannot be accepted. And maybe they were too nice and too friendly with each other, talking about how this clubhouse was great and the chemistry was great. Maybe they need somebody with a little bit of an edge to, to I don't know, push some guys a little bit, but something has to change in that regard because this was a soft team, proven to be a soft team. So how much, we go back to this from earlier, how much do you put on Buck? I'm not putting a lot on it, but I do think that Buck keeping the even keel, like I, I wanted an Aaron Boone slap the table moment from Buck toward the end of the year. Never it happened. Never happened. Not once. He never showed. And I know he's, I know Buck. I know he was living inside with the way some of the stuff went in September with the Atlanta series and obviously with the way the thing finished. So, but there's a tough, there's a fine line there because if he goes too hard, he's old school Buck, he's nasty Buck, rubbing the players the wrong way. But I, that even keel, which I think can be good, I didn't get real emotion from Buck. I, and I, I wanted that. So I would, he takes some of the blame, not all, not a large chunk, but at least some of it because he is the captain of this ship. Yeah, I think eventually he gets more of it. If this team struggles next year, if this team, dare I say, collapses again next year, I think then he would take a lot of heat as, well, maybe that comes from the manager who's won nothing. Because I I haven't put a lot of stock in what he's done in his postseason career. He's a different guy. I think the handling of Edwin Diaz is proof of that. The biggest criticism or the biggest mistake maybe he ever made in his career was his handling of Zach Britton a decade ago. And clearly, he learned from that. And he's also strategic. This is what I loved about Buck this year. He is strategically a different manager than he ever was. Like, there was never a time in which Buck Showalter or any other manager would routinely use his closer in the eighth inning to get better hitters out and then go to his eighth inning guy in the ninth inning. And personally, I love it. Like that warmed me up to him more than anything he did because it always made sense they to will, me. For eight they years, will, I screamed about it, and they he will did never get a better in-game tactician than Buck Showalter. That's just something like he's maxed out in that aspect of it. The temperament, the the dealing with the players. I think he's good there, but I would be mildly concerned off of the way that they fell apart. Absolutely, and it's going to be a question they all have to answer all, all right. year. Um, Garrett Cole was in a tough spot in 2022. No matter what he did during the regular season, people were going to think back to the wild card game. Didn't matter. And unfortunately, you can't do anything in April to fix October. You can't right. do anything in June to fix October. That's what the problem the Mets are going to have. Not just Max Scherzer, but everybody. Hey, yeah, you guys are you guys have won eight in a row. You're six games up. Remember when you guys choked like dogs in 2022? Yeah. And there's nothing you can do until you get right back to the same spot or maybe around later, the division series, and then you erase it. And that's going to be a, it's a cloud over them. I thought the 08 Mets had the same cloud all year long. Hey, you guys collapsed last year. Hey, you guys collapsed last year. And then they, they didn't collapse in 08. They lost a tough pennant race, but they sort of did it again. And so sometimes that cloud is a real battle that you guys have, and I think the Mets are going to have it next you, year. I did use the same thing with the football example with the Falcons blowing that 20. When you have a colossal 
failure like that out of nowhere, one game, one weekend, one series, whatever, you're going to be labeled as that until you get out of it. You mentioned it with 07, yes. 08. We knew at the time. That's why Francesca was saying they got to either get rid of Wright or Reyes because they can't keep this poor together. I... He turned out to be right. Now, he had the wrong guy. He wanted to keep Reyes and not right. But the point is they couldn't go with that same core because of, of that stink that was attached to it. I felt the same thing about the Falcons after the Super Bowl. That proved to be true. What will happen now with this group? You know, they're going to go with the same core, and then what? Are they going to actually win this time yeah. and prove people wrong or end up in the same spot? I cited that argument on the air the other day, the Francesa argument that he had with me, with you, and a lot of diehard Met fans about the, the core is rotten. Okay, you got to get rid of the core. <laughs> and we were all pissed at him. I yelled at him. We all yelled at him. It was my first time ever yelling at Mike. It was a great experience. But <laughs> what I admitted to him years later was, you were right. Like, I didn't want to admit that. You're right. And I don't want to have to think about that with this team. Because what does that mean? If we think the core is rotten, what that, what do you, first of all, Lindor's not being traded. He's untradeable. So what does that mean? You trade Pete no, Alonzo? No way. You trade Jeff McNeil? Like, what, what the hell does that mean? No. And that's what's well, scary. I wouldn't want to do that. Which brings us back to the beginning. Then you could change the philosophy on how you build this team as opposed to bringing Jake back and pairing him again with Scherzer for another run for a year or two, you go build the best bats, the best lineup that you possibly can. All right, a couple of things about you. I want you to be honest with me. Was there any part of you that enjoyed, because you became like a rallying cry in Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, your meme is everywhere in Atlanta, Georgia. You have brave players tweeting at you after they win the division. Now, I know you better than anyone in Atlanta. They think, ah, stupid guy went on TV, hot take central. No, I, I know that's not the case. You believed it. We argued about it a few weeks later where I didn't think the division was over. You did. It was a genuine opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. But you became a like a, a name people knew in Atlanta, the beat writers and referring to yeah. Sal, the players are referring to Sal. Is there any part of you that said, you know what? I kind of like this. Uh, I, I guess the look, first and foremost, you know, I don't do the hot take crap. I say what I feel. I've always said that. So I never said it for attention, nor did I ever think once about anybody from Atlanta watching that clip. I was more concerned about the Met fan who was going to think I was a jinx than anything else. And I did even say, I don't want to hear about the jinxes. I believe the Mets are going to win, win the division coming in. Now they're up 10 and a half games. I believe they're going to win it now. So I never tried to do it to get attention. But I will admit that, yes, there was at least a little part of me that did enjoy, even though I was beyond devastated, when Tyler Matzik is tweeting me from the Braves <laughs> locker room during the champagne celebration. It's like, wow, like if, if people really gave a crap about that video and I know it was said wrong and I know they're making, you know, they're making me look like a fool, whatever. But still, the fact that I became a household name in Atlanta was bizarre. It, does it make it more bizarre that you're a Falcon fan? So you've That's got the like irony. some affinity. They don't even know those knuckleheads. <laughs> the irony is I never hated the Braves outside of 99 through 2001. And yes, I'm a freaking Falcons fan. And like them, I suffered through 28 to 3. It's unbelievable. And I get the worst end of both things. I, I wish I had the Braves' success. Unfortunately, I have the Mets, and I lose there. And I have the Falcons, and I lose there. If the Falcons are successful and making a postseason run, and you're at home watching a game, is there a part of you that says, see those people cheering? 
I hate those people. <laughs> they hate me. And I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> I am one of them. I've flown down there many times. Uh, my Falcon fandom, though, truth be told, especially now doing full-time shows on the fan, like I'm more focused on Jets and Giants. And after 28-3, to it it just – you you don't understand until you go through it. It, it took something out of me. No, I – I think I've experienced bad losses, like losses that I still think about all these years later. Some of them we share, some of them right. we don't. Uh, obviously, the Mets stuff we all know, but like the Durant foot game against the Bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing compared to 28 to three. And that that's what I do. I do feel bad for you. Like the jet loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC championship game. Nothing compared to 28 to three. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying it to remind myself. I think I've had pain. That's it's pain. The worst, That's as bad of a loss as it can be. It's the worst loss in the history of the sport. So I don't yeah. care what, you yeah. know, you may have had bad ones in baseball and this or that, but that nothing will ever be worse to me than having it right there your whole life. You've dreamt about it. It was the dream season. I flew down back-to-back weekends. Matt Ryan won the MVP. Like it was the, they were beating Brady and the Pats to boot. It will never get as good as that, and they blew it in the worst fashion possible. There's no way I could ever go back to being the fan that I was before that. Just doesn't. It's not real. Uh, one last thing about this season, because the Mets won 101 games. They had a lot of amazing victories. Do you think there's a day where we would look back at 2022 and say, nah, it was a fun year. It was a good year. 101 wins, second most in franchise history. That comeback against the Phillies was amazing. That comeback against the Cardinals was amazing. Or do you think this remains a... 07-like year where anytime someone mentions 2007, no one will think of wins. They will only think of the choke. I don't ever see this being remembered in a positive light. The way that they lost, the, the way they imploded in Atlanta, will they'll ne- and to boot, to finish it off, had they beaten the Padres, different story. Let's say they beat the Padres and lose in the division series to the Dodgers, different story. The way that it spun out of control like that, and they were never able to recover. I don't think 2022 will ever be looked at in a positive light by Mets fans. I agree. I agree. So Hoff, cancel the top 10 victories of 2022 podcast. We're not going to do it <laughs> because it would just be a colossal waste of time. But I will tell you on the next edition of Rico Bronia, which we'll record Sunday night, we call it the Met Fans Guide to watching the postseason. That's right. We may not be in the postseason, but we'll tell you how to watch it, who to root for, and who to root against, whether it's teams, players, and all sorts of scenarios. Sal, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, everybody can listen to Sal overnights, whether it's at midnight to 5 a.m. or 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., or if he's on Twitter fighting with Keith McPherson, (laughs) or on Baseball Night New York on SNY. Thank you for coming on, Sal. Thanks, I appreciate appreciate you having me. And thanks, everybody, for listening to another depressing edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. If you're feeling down and having trouble getting up in the morning, here's a tip. Brush your teeth. That's it. Often when we wake up, our brains go into planning mode, which leads to overthinking and stress before our head even leaves the pillow. Something simple like brushing your teeth can break that cycle and jumpstart your day. 
This tip was brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy, which connects you with a licensed therapist via video, phone, or online chat. Visit BetterHelp.com positive and save 10% on your first month. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.